I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Jack River, and this is To Rebel in the Times. This episode was recorded from my home on Ewan Country, I would like to pay my special respect to Elders past, present and emerging and pay respect to any First Nations listeners. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this episode was pre-recorded in late June and I'd like to reiterate that this podcast is a place for artists and change makers to speak about their most impactful work, their passions, their story and their inspirations. By interviewing people on this podcast, I'm not endorsing their views, opinions or ideas. Their views are their own and my views are my own. For this first season of the podcast, I've been connecting with other artists for deep conversations about the things we're rallying to change in our society. And a massive one for me is our attitude and engagement with climate and the environment. To be successful in the Australian music industry has not typically gone hand in hand with sustainability. Between festivals and travel miles, a touring artist's carbon footprint is something that has weighed very heavily in my mind. But there are some artists who are shaking things up in a really exciting way, and one of them is Ziggy Alberts. When you can have closed-loop systems on site, it makes a difference. When you can have water stations, it makes a difference. And they aren't necessarily solve-the-world things, but that's where I think that net positive theme comes back for me, that's like, at least do what is easy, and just keep getting better and better and like that because if you if we try and go okay we need to do it perfectly it won't happen over the past decade ziggy has gone from playing gigs in small towns and restaurants to headlining some of our biggest festivals all the while growing a huge and loyal fan base along the way he's created responsible merchandise he's removed single-use plastics from some of our biggest venues he started a youtube series called net positive and became a spokesperson for environmental movements, including the campaign to save the great Australian bike from big oil. I caught up with Ziggy to find out where this drive emerged in him and how he turns his ideas into action. Hello, Ziggy. Thank you so much for being a part of To Rebel in the Times. Hey, thank you for having me. Really looking forward to today. Now, can you tell me a little bit about your family and where you grew up? where your parents are from and how those early years shaped your uh, your will to rebel in the times and use your voice. So I grew up um, on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. I was born 26 years ago yesterday um, on a little balcony. It was a home, home birth, born in a bubble. Nice. Um, yeah, which is supposed to help me, protect me from drowning, which is really good. I think Were I've you been... born... In the sack? 
Yeah. Like you came out. Oh, I've, I've only met one other person who was born Is that in right? their sack. Yeah. yeah. So you're, yeah. And that other person, I know you guys are quite similar, very calm, peaceful people, right? No, it's, I'm, I'm glad it was, um, I mean, I don't remember it. I think it was pretty cool. Um, but it's, uh, I was born, yeah, one stormy, one stormy morning back on the Sunshine Coast. And, um, and I grew up um, homeschooled, actually. So for the most part, until I was 13 years old, I was homeschooled um, by my parents. And we surfed. Most days were really active, you know, um, really active kids. So we're surfing and skating and doing martial arts. The most artistic thing I'd done probably from 13 to 16 while still in school was I was, I was riding on and off for like surf mags, doing like little freelance journalism pieces. Awesome. Um, and so that was the, you know, that was kind of me in my life in, in short up until I graduated school. So I guess life before music. So that's been an amazing upbringing. Um, couldn't, I couldn't ask for more personally. One of six. So one of that's, six. I that's my life. That. Zero to 16, roughly. Wow. Better than Wikipedia could have ever done it. <laughs> Great. I hope <laughs> that, so. Yeah, that is um, so incredible to hear and like you have such a grounded presence and everything you do feels very grounded and often that comes from an amazing family who have given you the confidence to, you know, speak your mind and be who you want to be. So that's really cool. So you are a surfer and an environmental enthusiast and activist. Um, You've done a lot of work with amazing companies like Patagonia and organisations like Greenpeace. Where did this relationship with nature emerge from i was really um like i touched i was really lucky to grow up we my parents like just rented little beach shacks kind of thing so um so they made a big lifestyle choice with like having us grow up by the beach that was what we did and so i was in the water since before i could remember like it's it was as part so it was as part and parcel as breakfast lunch and dinner so that was definitely a big a big part of where i think that really deep core connection came from i'd probably say two events if i look back made a big difference to me was one oil spill we had up here years ago where and we weren't allowed my parents didn't want us going in the water so very quickly when you can't go in the water because there's an oil spill Mm. because it didn't affect us as bad as like fraser and stuff but it was it was pretty bad and that was like okay like that's what can happen you know um and i was quite young then and i remember they wanted to put a desalination plant like straight out the front of where we live and still to this day it's like such a good idea in theory turn salt water into drinking water like it is like in theory but there's so much and there was at the time there still is so much failure mechanically and in actuality with those practices and so I remember that was one of the first times like I went to like a committee meeting. You know, I, might, I might have literally been 12 or 13 and that was probably, I guess, my first entry into um, trying to speak up or listen and be curious on those things. That was probably where that was some of the where core foundations of where it all started. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was going to ask where that understanding of um, like pure, beautiful childhood nature began to be compromised and and that, I think you just answered that perfectly though and I'm sure we'll touch on it later 
I'm not sure if you remember, but I think I met you around 10 years ago in Byron uh, on the street with Ash. I don't know if you remember that. I, I think I remember you walking around with... It would, have been, it would be Kyle, it would be, is that that time? Yeah, it Kyle. Kyle Lionheart probably, yeah, if I remember. I remember. We were on the, st- it was like in Suffolk on the street, you were walking with Kyle and Ash was like, you've got to listen to Ziggy. And um, yeah, so we had some mutual friends and I, I began to become aware of your huge busking and um, coastal touring schedule. And I'm not sure if this is correct, but I think you played at the Mexican restaurant where I was waitressing in Foster at the Aztec. Yeah, the Aztec yeah. and Foster. I've played there. Uh-huh. I played there a heap of times. Yeah, they are. Um, Steph from the Aztec, big shout out. She is really incredible. Yeah, those sort of people who supported really core independent touring and small venues, like they, they have been and will continue to be like such a stepping stone, and not in the sense of stepping stone as like a, it's not valuable. Like some of the most valuable and best experiences you have, you know. Hundred percent. So. If you started that in 2013, in around 2016, I guess we began to see you really start to formally use your voice um, in, well, as an environmental activist. Yes. Um, and that was, I guess, firstly, from the outside, it looked like your net positive series and having conversations wherever you went with um, local environmental heroes and also, uh, you know, more national figures like, say, the CEO of Greenpeace. So can you tell me a little bit about um, that process of actually engaging formally in environmental Mm. issues? I think through touring, you can see there's a lot of waste. I mean, you know that just as well as anyone. And... I started doing those little house shows and the house shows turned into community halls and community halls turned into small venues. And then by, yeah, 2000, that's a good call. It was probably 2016 when we really started the Net Positive series. Um, I was just really motivated to tell the good about where we went because there's so many good stories and so many proactive people and figures and incredible business practice and I guess that was the idea behind net positive was it was like have a net positive effect we're going on tour we are incurring costs we're incurring environmental detriment just like everyday living does as well and how can we try and have a net positive effect you know my parents very much instilled in me like can you try and be proud of like who you are off stage and what you do off stage you know not just on stage or what you say you know how can you actually do something um and because I didn't feel good about just sitting back, I was like, this is something I know I can do. I can have conversations and bring to light stuff that people might not know about. So your now huge and global career had extremely humble beginnings. It wasn't like you were busking and someone swooped you up and gave you a record deal and plugged you into the radio or something. You continued busking and touring for over eight years. You stayed independent. You kept playing your music um, without it being picked up by major Australian radio. In fact, your music really started getting spun on um, national stations when you were kind of already playing the Enmore Theatre, um, which I just thought was so fucking cool. Um, and just last year, you played Horden Pavilion and River Stage, two venues that all Australian artists dream of playing. They're the largest venues we can play before we step up into stadiums, uh, small stadiums. Mm. So compared to many other artists, to me, it seems like you built this career 
on your own with your audience and you've done it in your own way. Um, is that what it felt like to you and and what is that relationship with community that you have with music, community, environment? Is it all intertwined? Absolutely. I think it's really intertwined. So very early on I had a sense of like community and that I didn't treat that there was these people that I played to. There was the crowd and me. Like I felt like we did things together and so that's been a big even getting on stage in Sydney at the Horden um, or at River Stage, it felt like a celebration, like we done it, you know? And I think that just comes back down to overall, like having that connection with the crowd. As I think, I think there is a certain, there's a genuineness to what I do and why that you like, you, you either you have it or you don't, either you're genuine about it or you're not. And so there's no gimmicks with why I'm doing music or what I'm trying to say. And I think that resonates with people, you know. I think that's like a big value of mine on and off stage is just try and mean what you, mean what you say, you know. Um, that's so important and I think that speaks volumes to people and that like... Creates trust. Yeah, it creates trust and that's something that... Um, I like I owe it to myself first and then I owe it to everybody else. A hundred percent. And I feel like, you know, you've obviously just put it all so beautifully, but we don't talk about the audience or sometimes I feel like talk to the audience. They are literally, run. you know, we could not do it without people listening to this podcast or, or our music. So, yeah, thank you, everyone. Now, I've borrowed these facts and figures from the wonderful Heidi Lentfer of Feet, future energy artist, who I'll shout out at the end of this episode. But yeah, Heidi. Yes, Heidi. <laughs> um, she did the awesome maths on our industry and the very scary maths that uh, a regular tour around Australia, which would mostly involve 15 shows, 44 flights, equaling around 16,000 air kilometres, and um, around 1,800 road Ks, roughly emits 28 tonnes of carbon dioxide, which is roughly equivalent to the yearly emissions of an entire household here in Australia. So when Heidi, you know, put those figures together, we all knew that our industry is not friendly to the environment as much as some of us might be super passionate about environmental issues. Um, and I know you've been working on this for a really long time, but it, I think it all really came together in the laps around the sun tour. So I've got an awesome list of what you did here. So on the 2019 Australia leg of the um, Ziggy and Common Folk Records laps around the sun tour, five out of five venues used biopack products across drink and serviceware. Most food vendors at the shows use biodegradable serviceware. All venues implemented a waste management and service system. Um, with River Stage, special shout out, implementing Biopack's closed loop waste management system. All venues allowed environmental stalls so the audience were able to c- go and learn a thing or two and connect whilst also listening to music. Um, and we refill water stations were available at the Brisbane show for patrons to refill their reusable water bottles and the most incredible achievement would be Brisbane's River Stage was a 100% single-use plastic free event except as you say for potentially the zip ties on the fences so um, this is a huge uh, step in your career and a huge step on behalf of all Australian artists who who are wanting to um, tour a little greener or, or a huge load greener. 
So can you tell me, um, we know where this comes from, but putting this together, was it challenging or was it, easy, you know, not so challenging? Like, how, what was it like? So yes is the answer. It was a challenge. From It was a challenge just because... I might be at like a certain level, but for example, Jack Johnson, who I met briefly when we got a green touring kind of um, insight at one of his shows in Sydney, which was amazing. Um, what that guy does is freakish. The amount of work those guys put in, they won't necessarily, they'll be working with a venue and book and be like, but this is our conditions. We won't do this unless you let there be water stations. We won't do this unless there's this. And if the venue's like, we won't do it, they're like, well, we'll just do a different venue. And so, like, they are setting precedence on what's okay to ask for. The, like, the that's all that I think we did for the most part on this tour. The girls worked really hard on logistics of how it was going to happen, our partners who we worked with, their transparency. Um, there was, a, there was some big pushbacks, but a lot of venues, and you have the example of River Stage with a closed loop system. So all the compostable biopack stuff that was used that night actually gets composted. Wild. On site. Awesome. Wild. You know? um, on so site. On it's site, like, yeah. So like, wow. then you, so like it's one thing to have biodegradable stuff and one thing for it to actually be properly processed. So it was... Um, it was really cool and it was a lot of hard work from the team because I, I came with ideas and I came with like, this is what I would like to happen. And um, it was the Comfort team that really saw it through and our partners that saw it through. And it was, it's just, just about setting new precedents, you know? So I think um, that's what I'm glad is just to try and be like, this is possible. And not only is it possible, like, all of the people shout out to all my all my people who came to the River Stage show because the whole hill was clean. The lady, the manager who runs the place, was crying because Aww. everyone took their rubbish off the hill. The place was spotless, you know. That's and we didn't. So beautiful. No one was there shouting at them to take the stuff off the hill, but they like that's that's and it's so it's like it's an amazing and that impact of nine thousand people picking up their stuff is like. To not have like so the people yeah it's um it That's was so cool. Great. I so- had that in Tasmania once at Falls Festival. Did you? I I'd done this thing where like in this certain song everyone would pass rubbish to the front of the stage, and I was in beautiful Tasmania where people really do care about um their natural surrounds. And I went to say it, and I was like, "Fuck, there's no fucking rubbish on the ground." I think I went ahead and said it, but no rubbish was coming forward because they're all so responsible so it's so wonderful when audiences do that it's so gross to walk out after a beautiful night and kick rubbish around a hill um it's look it and with laps there's still things like for example like we did and we i mean we i think 32 like a dollar for every ticket that was sold went to so thirty-two thousand dollars went to different organizations um around Australia, which was really cool. That was another cool thing that we got to, that the crowd, the fact they all bought a ticket meant that we could take money from the tickets and do something good with it, you know? So there's still so much, like there's still so much, like for example, I would love it if with our trucks, because we had one truck, I think, that was driving around with all of our, our sound and equipment. And I would love that, like in the US, for example, Jack Johnson tours with, 
trucks on trucks on biofuel and stuff like so that's like holy like that's that would be sick if that's where we could get to kind of thing so there's always room to move and we like just scratching the surface kind of thing so i really look forward to and you should look up after this have a look at what jack does he does this crazy interactive stuff done a crazy dig into what he does and um yeah i did want to mention in this interview jack johnson and his team he's incredible um partner they have created all the tools that any musician needs so if if any artist is listening um as well as ziggy creating tools for australian artists um but jack johnson has really gone very deep and uh created the tools for both artists and festivals you know so that's like that's something that i want to continue to look into more and like i think i think they're definitely before everything got shut down, obviously, there's definitely been a shift in the tides um, of all that. And it's just like start somewhere easy, you know. I think that's what we need to do is like it's not hard to have Bioware food or packaging. It's not actually the thing that saves the world, but it's like it's not hard. And when you've got 9,000 people there or a 30,000 person festival, it makes a difference. When you can have closed loop systems on site, it makes a difference. When you can, when you can have water stations, it makes a difference. And they're not, they aren't, they aren't necessarily solve the world things. But that's where I think that net positive theme comes back for me. That's like, at least do what is easy, and just keep getting better and better. And like that, because if you, if we try and go, okay, we need to do it perfectly. It won't happen. There's just not a perfect thing right now. But I think that if you can bring people together, you can explore ideas together on stage and in the crowd. People can learn about environmental stuff. People can leave with wanting to pursue their dreams more, with being kind to each other, with caring a little more. That has an effect, and who knows how far that far and wide people from the crowd can take that effect and affect the people in their community or just in their family. You know, that's like... because. I- yeah, it's not just me. That. It's not just me. It's like you're doing your part. I can try and do my part. My team's doing their part. People in the crowd go away and decide to do something innovative that does freaking save a lot of the world's problems, you know? Like I believe each of us like have an answer and have a part to play and that's like what's so exciting, you know? That's so great. I love that. Everything you just said. So good. <laughs> um, I want to just comment... Um, in terms of setting a precedent, I wanted to thank you for setting a precedent for something that um, I came into contact with. I think we both were doing something at a major broadcaster and uh, a food chain was present there that you know nobody was notified um, that they would be pres- present and both of us you know, cared about not having that food chain present in the room. Um, and I think I reached out to you and you let me know that on the spot you and your team created um, an agreement to get around it with the major broadcaster and I think that this is an incredible example of you with your independent um, management and label driven by your values being able to step in very quickly create a tool for another artist set a precedent and uh, allow someone like me to to have comfort in knowing that the road's been paved kindly by you so thank you no it's i mean yeah like again it's um that that incident wasn't even like it's so funny because like 
it was not even out of like, and this is where we just have to be so kind and patient with each other because it wasn't out of like a, um, it wasn't out of, someone wasn't doing that on the sly, just the people who put on that production just didn't think it'd be a problem. And I was like, it's a big problem to me. And it just had to be just cleaned up quickly. And I know, but I'm kind of, <laughs> I think I just kind of lost it. I was like, maybe I won't play. And that's where, which we touched on briefly the other day was how, who your third parties are and why was such a big um, thing for me. And so it was like, that is not even a third party that I'm interested in remotely being associated with. And there is third parties in environmental groups and ways where they just feel like they operate with too much hypocrisy where like despite being an environmental group I don't want to be associated because they don't hold to my value set and that's where like artists need to find like for some artists it's going to be um, equality stuff for some artists it's going to be animal welfare for some artists it's going to be environmental and that's where like you, it's just important for artists to recognize what those things are in their in their core and not have to compromise on them you know Absolutely. And just know the power of no. Um, we had this exact conversation with Portugal, the man who did an incredible thing in um, not playing Sunrise after the incident where um, there was some really awful commentary on Stolen Generation. And um, that act of them pulling out of the show reverberated to, I think, all Australian artists to know that you can say no and there will be thousands of people that support you and it might be an incredible thing for your career so yeah that's that's a really that's a good pickup i think and you know shout out portugal the man that's that's awesome and so i think that's really important to identify those things within yourself and not for i think for young artists listening to not go like that's a big call by portugal the man to go like i'm not playing sunrise but at the end of the day it's sunrise it's a, it's a TV thing and... The sun's going to keep rising. Yeah, literally. But they aren't worth the compromise of, like, your soul, you know? They're Absolutely. not worth. It's about you and your music at the end of the day. Um, I think what we're talking about here is an awesome segue. Um, the idea of success in our music industry and, to a certain extent, our, you know, capitalist society that um, we live and breathe and thrive in... Um, how do you balance the traditional view of success in the music industry, which is usually a global touring schedule, dominance of other territories, meaning endless travel that you have to upkeep? Uh, how do you balance this with your environmental values and your idea of success as an environmentalist? Because for me, this is a huge life conundrum and I'd love to chat to you about it. Yep, that's a good question. I think what that for me has come down to is, is can my effect be net positive? Like literally it's like, can, can me going overseas and doing the shows and speaking about things on stage and can, can that do enough to be net positive? I have much less success with my environmental endeavors in America and in Canada than I do here. So it's, it's, a, it's a big balancing act. And so what I really try and focus on for my sanity is, is what exists that's possible because when, and this is me personally, but when it's like I start getting caught up on the flying thing, you can't carbon offset, which is something, you know, um, 
but right now there isn't an option for me to take another flight somewhere else. That's when I get very realist and I go, okay, either I do the tour overseas or I don't. What factors can I improve? Can I get a solar powered flight? Not at this point. The moment that I can get a bio biofuel um, tour bus, yes, like you know. So like there is there is more and more emerging options, and I think that this, the balance is like if you can, because all of it takes. That's the crazy thing. The loop is that you have to get to a certain level of success to be able to afford the biofuel truck or the biofuel um, tour bus. You know. As in, it's because Jack's here that he has the leverage power, has the financial ability. So that's where, again, my answer, my shorter answer is, I don't know. I don't yeah. know, but we're figure, we're trying to figure it out. Um, Absolutely. That's and that's where I think it's just good to be honest, and I think that's what continues to we have to continue to be honest and resonate with people because I think. If anything, it is the facade that is so damaging. It's when someone looks the part, knacks the part, but isn't the part, you know? So Absolutely. I think being honest about how complex it is and how confusing it is is what we need to do. And um, What do you think? Like, you know, I'd, be, I'd be interested to hear, like, what do you, what do you think? Oh, like, how do you find the balance? <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, to be so honest, I've definitely spent a lot of time thinking about it the thing that's really changed for me over the past six months or sorry maybe year um is obviously realizing that huge values clash between my personal uh values and also the lifestyle that I dreamed of and that I love that keeps me sane and the idea of success which is kind of a global touring schedule but yeah and like how far do you go can I have a net positive um effect by actually going and doing that and and getting my voice out there or is that the ego kind of for me stepping in where yeah absolutely no it's 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 a huge and that's a really good like that's a really good way to put it you're like where do i justify where do i not and um yeah i think becoming aware of that and if it starts to really align with your environmental concerns and values then there's some evidence there to to make different decisions and for me I, I'm just so excited about being grounded here in Australia for a bit and appreciating um, you know my home audience and what I've built here and not just you know taking a moment to soak it in. When you like artistically and when you're pursuing your artistic endeavours um, your like truth kind of thing that makes it all easier and I think something that my dad said to me that was really interesting I'd like to share with you was I think probably the more environmentally friendly thing for me to do in my career would have been to just keep living in my van and keep busking, for example. That probably would have been. Um, But then my question becomes, like, because I don't have the answer, like, what impact did I get to have as an artist with the Great Australian Bite? As in, what impact? I don't know. It might have been... Exactly. It might have been this much. It mightn't have been big. Like, I don't... I'm not saying I had a big impact. My point is that... I know I couldn't have spoken to as many people as I did about the issue if I just kept busking. And that's where we're, that's where we are continuing to, as that's where as artists or just as, let's even say as, as people doing traditional business of any sort, you're constantly walking that tightrope because Patagonia as a company has a major impact on the world. That's right. Um, environmentally, they say it themselves like they do. 
but how much of a positive impact do they have you know as well through better products through their community initiatives through supporting protests like they did through all our time here in australia through funding independent films about different activism like and that's where i think definitely you know as in off record on record just make sure you're being kind to yourself because the fact of the matter is you're going to be like right now as jack river drawing people to all this talk through this podcast like you don't know you don't know what that does for people um environmentally within themselves and that's something that we need to um pay respect to the great opportunity that you're providing by opening this space for people to talk and listen you know oh thank you ziggy that's really kind and it's so true without pushing forward we wouldn't be having this conversation so thank you so much final question um what is one solid piece of advice you'd give to an artist standing in your shoes a decade or so ago at the start of this journey learning to speak and act on your values that's a great that's a great ending question what advice would I give baby Ziggy I'd say um, just trust you know like trust what is what comes to mind and trust and sleep more you know, those are two, those are probably two things I'd say that, uh, that I'd say 10 years ago to if I bumped into me on the street. But there's nothing I would, ch- there's nothing I'd change for all the challenges that I've had in my career, you know, um, that the public knows about or the public doesn't know about. I wouldn't change any of it because it's all just been so right. Um, and so I'd say to anyone who was, anyone who was in like my shoes, you know, coming up, you know, more or less like 10 years ago and looking at a career in music, just, just mean what, mean what you say and, and, and go for it. The, probably the, the one, the one place in my life, particularly that I haven't stood in my own way. Don't stand in your own way. That's what the advice I'd give. That's awesome. That is so great. Thank you so much, Ziggy. Uh, thank you for everything that you've done for artists and for all of the energy in this conversation because I know it ta- it's taken 10 years to be able to to have this conversation with you. So thank you. No, and thank you for facilitating the space. It's really, I think, a lot of... I can say thank you on behalf of listeners, on behalf of other artists, um, that it's just great to get facilitated in a place where we can have long-form discussion around things that are important to us personally, things that are important to us in our career. That's like that's a really exciting space and one that's not hugely available in Australia. So thank you for making that available. A huge thanks to Ziggy and thank you for listening to this conversation on To Revel in the Times. Join me to continue the combo over at To Revel in the Times on Instagram. A big shout out to Heidi Lempfer of Feet, future energy artist, for forging a path for artists to invest directly in renewable energy all from their backyard here in Australia. You can learn more about FEAT at www.feat.ltd and feat.artists on Instagram. Now this, my friends, is the humble end of Season 1 of To Revel in the Times, Sound of Change. 
I genuinely hope you found something in these conversations and that it motivated you to do something of impact in your world or support artists or change makers who are doing it in their world. I would love to hear your thoughts. Please, please send me a message over at To Rebel in the Times on Instagram. Subscribe to To Rebel in the Times on any podcast player. And if you like what you hear, please leave me a review. I would love to hear from you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.